Uh, we are going to jump into our uh, sermon series that we started last week, uh, and we are talking about generosity, and particularly uh, generosity when it, uh, well, generally generosity when it comes to our, our time, our talent, and our treasure. Um, God has given each of us those three things, and he's given us responsibility to steward those things, to use them in a way that glorifies him and honors him. Um, And we are looking particularly at uh, treasure this morning and talking about uh, money as it pertains uh, to tithing and giving. And um, I said this last week, but I'll say it again because it's somebody's uh, first week. Uh, Anytime I talk about money at church, I always, I'm afraid, not afraid, but I'm always mindful that this is somebody's first week at church. You're tuning in line for the first time, you showed up for the first week, and you're thinking, man, the church, man, isn't just like the church to always talk about money and ask for money. Uh, we hardly ever talk about money. Uh, so just so you know, you got to stick around long enough to see that. Uh, but it's important that we do talk about it because Jesus actually uh, talks about it uh, quite a bit. Uh, and so we uh, need to probably talk about it more and how to honor God with our, with our finances uh, and, and that's what we're, we're looking at uh, this morning. And you're maybe thinking, uh, why doesn't this work? Uh, that's what I'm thinking. Oh, there we go. Um, you might be thinking, uh, you know, how can I trust a pastor to talk about money? Um, and, you know, pastors don't have the greatest raps when it comes to, to, to asking for money and talking about money. And uh, let me just tell you a little quick story. Uh, 2013, there was a big flood. You might have remembered it. Uh, and it was, there was drastic situations. People were being, uh, you know, taken out of their homes and homes were being ruined. And High River got it particularly bad. And SunWest answered a call at the time to respond to the need that was happening uh, in High River. And so we went to the little town of Blackie. And they had a curling rink there that they had opened up to take in residents from High River. And so the residents from High River were going there. Uh, and SunWest, um, you know, we had hundreds of volunteers that stepped up and we were kind of manning the volunteer station there uh, and, and just helping out in, in all the process and the chaos that was going on there. Um, and so I remember being on the ground there and obviously people had all their possessions and their stuff and they were trying to figure out what to, what to do with it. Uh, and, I, and there was this... A uh, lady that wanted to speak with me because uh, she had heard that I was a pastor, uh, and so uh, so I went over and to chat with this lady, uh, and uh, she invited me to come over to her van. Uh, so we went to her van, uh, and then she opened up her van, and she had she showed me sixty thousand dollars in cash, uh, and she said, "I don't know what to do with this," uh, and she says, and, "and for whatever reason, she didn't trust the bank." But she trusted me because I'm a pastor. Uh, didn't never never met before. She's like, I don't trust the bank. I don't know what they're going to do with my aunt, my money. But they tell me you're a pastor, so I trust you. Would you take my sixty thousand dollars and take care of it? I was like, oh my goodness. Um, and uh, so there's another guy that I brought in, and uh, we we wrote up like this contract on like this envelope of you know <laughs> this, and I signed it, and she signed it, and uh, it was a it was a crazy situation. Uh, and so coming back to the point, can you trust me? She trusted me and I didn't lose a cent of her cash. <laughs> Just so you know, I, it all worked out in the end. Uh, although I was, I was severely nervous. I didn't trust myself with, with $10, but anyways, um, but I think there's three things that you do need to know. 
Uh, before we jump into the topic here, is uh, as a pastor, I don't make commission. That's the first thing you know. Uh, so whether you give a little, whether you give a lot, doesn't make any difference uh, on my end. Uh, the next thing I want you to know is that I don't know what anybody gives. Um, and so that information is not available to me. And so maybe when you come in on a Sunday, you're thinking... Uh, why didn't he thank me for that big gift that I gave last week? I was like, I have no idea, just so you know. And so you're like, ah, you know, I don't need to feel so disappointed. Uh, and also, some of you maybe came in feeling guilty, like, I haven't given to the church in a year, and uh, I don't know that either. So everybody just take a sigh. It's all good. I don't know, I don't know anything. Um, and, and I think the other thing that's important to know as we talk about tithing, giving to the church, um, I practice what I'm preaching. So this is something that uh, my wife and I and our family do, right? So I'm not an exception. I'm simply inviting you to the journey that I'm on. Uh, And then the last thing that SunWest uh, tithes, and we'll talk about what the tithe means in a second, but SunWest itself uh, actually gives 10% of our money to our greater faith family. Um, And that goes to things like missions, agencies, missionaries, um, our camp, and some of those things. So uh, those are things that are important for you to know on the front end. Uh, so tithing. Today's sermon is titled Tithing Uncensored. But before we talk about tithing, and does the tithe matter today? Is the tithe biblical? Should we or shouldn't we tithe? Uh, we need to understand what uh, the scriptures actually say before we tackle that topic. And to understand how the tithe is relevant, we've got to talk about the law. And so the law is just really a short form well, that means a whole bunch of things, but it really is an umbrella term for talking about you know, all the rules and regulations that you kind of see, particularly uh, in the Old Testament of the Bible. Uh, and so your Bible's uh, kind of split into two parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, it doesn't mean that the Old is outdated. Uh, it simply means that the Old is the, the period of Scripture before Jesus came. And so the New Testament was written because of the life and ministry of Jesus and after his resurrection. And so uh, that kind of changed how we understood God and how we practiced things. And that distinction is important for even how we're going to talk about the tithe. Uh, But the law kind of refers to this original uh, regulations and rules that God had given to his people on how to live. And so what, what part of the law applies to us and what part of the law doesn't? There's a lot of people that have different opinions on this. And um, if you read your Bible, you'll quickly realize that there's some things we practice and there's other things that we don't practice. Uh, like the Bible says in Leviticus, don't wear clothes made out of two different kinds of fabric. Does anybody have a mixture of polyester and wool on this morning? You're breaking the law. I don't know if you knew that. Is that sin? Should you actually only wear 100% wool? Um, the Bible said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and strength. That was part of the law. Is that outdated? Does that apply today? Well, if you know your scriptures, you would say that, you know, of course it applies today. That's how Jesus summed up the law. Um, there's another law that says you, you can't kill a thief during the day. Uh, killing him at night is okay. But killing him during the day... Not okay. So does that apply? You know, if you find someone stealing from your house um, during the day, you just let them take it? Or, you know, how do you, how do you manage that? Do not cover your neighbor's wife. That's part of the Old Testament law. Does that apply today? Uh, here's another one. In Leviticus, it says, don't sit where a menstruating woman has sat. Do we practice that today? Can you imagine if we practice that today? Excuse me, ma'am. Can I ask you a question just before I take your seat? That would be awkward. Um, you must have railing on your roof. You know, how many of you guys have railing on your roof? 
Why or why not? The Bible says you're supposed to have it. Um, it also says to set aside a tithe, the tenth of produce each year, and bring it to the place where God is worshipped. It says that in Deuteronomy. Do we do that? So how do we know what applies and what doesn't apply? How do we live in response to this? Um, so all people that study the Bible acknowledge that the tithe was a requirement in the Old Testament. But the question is whether it's still a requirement in the New Testament since, uh, since Jesus came in his death and resurrection, and how do we understand that? And so to answer this question, we have to look back and understand what makes up the different parts of the law. So I'm going to try and move through these quickly. Um, and hopefully you can see the overview. I don't want to get lost in the, the weeds of it, but I think the overview will help us frame the conversation that we're going to have about uh, the tithe. So the law is made up of uh, different types of laws. And so we have the moral law. And so the moral law is the foundation upon uh, which the entire Old Testament is built. And it's, uh, the, it's anchored on the, the character and the righteousness and the holiness of God. And so uh, to break the moral law is simply sin, and you'll see the moral law is consistent from Old Testament to New Testament. In fact, James, who was writing in the New Testament, uh, says this, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point of it is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, you do commit murder. You have become a lawbreaker. And so if you break just one part of it, you're breaking all of it. And so if you wore two uh, different fabrics in your shirt today, does this mean that you're a lawbreaker? Well, we think what James is referring to here is is what the... um, the Jewish people and the Christians understood as God's moral law. And so an example of these types of laws uh, would be these. Respect your elders, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not lie about your neighbor, do not envy, love your neighbor as yourself, do not oppress widows, do not oppress foreigners in your midst, do not put a stumbling block in front of a blind person, that's good wisdom. Uh, so these, these are moral laws based on God's character, God's righteousness, God's holiness, Uh, the way that we ought to live, and it's been consistent uh, throughout uh, the scriptures, um, and God's calling us to live in a certain way. Does this make sense? Yes. Let me answer for you. Yes? Okay. So that's God's moral law. Okay. And then we have ceremonial laws, and the purpose of ceremonial laws was uh, to actually help people be made right with God. And so they had ceremonies, uh, festival, sacrificial systems, uh, particularly uh, and so these sacrificial systems existed uh, to, put, to, to have a payment for people's sins and their law-breaking, and then uh, to put it in place of an animal, and when the blood was spilt, the animal was sacrificed, uh, then the people received forgiveness for sin. So there's a sacrificial ceremonial system uh, that was put in place. Uh, and after Jesus died and rose again, these laws became obsolete and were canceled. The ceremonial laws were always considered by God to be inferior to moral laws because they were only temporary in nature and they were pointing to the ultimate fulfillment of what they were pointing towards was Jesus and his death and resurrection. Uh, They're often referred to shadows, uh, even in scriptures. So they're shadow laws because they're they're not the thing themselves, but they're pointing to a reality that was going to be coming. So those are ceremonial laws, sacrificial laws. Uh, In Hebrews it says, every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, ceremonial laws, uh, they serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. 
In Hebrews 10, the writer says, this is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws, moral laws, in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. So here we see that God is going to put his law in our hearts. It actually is ongoing. It's consistent. It's for all time. But there's another part of the law that's being referred to, the sacrifices for sin that is no longer necessary. Why? Because of what Jesus has done. In Proverbs, uh, it says, do what is right and just, moral law, because it's more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice, which is ceremonial law. Proverbs, again, says circumcision is nothing. So circumcision is part of the Old Testament uh, ceremonial laws, and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commandments is what counts. And to every adult male who came to faith, we're thinking, phew, circumcision doesn't matter. Um, No? Okay. Uh, So that's ceremonial laws. Okay, then we have Jewish separation laws, which actually circumcision is probably part of Jewish separation laws. Um, These are not rooted in the moral character of God, uh, so they're not binding on Gentile believers. So Gentile believers were, you know, everybody who was not Jewish uh, were referred to as Gentiles. So uh, so there was Jewish separation laws uh, in the Old Testament that separated the Jewish people uh, from the Gentiles because the Jewish people were called to be holy. They were called to be distinct. They were called to be a light to the nations. Uh, and so there were laws that were put in place to keep them separate. And the motivation behind that was uh, so that they wouldn't actually worship other gods or, or bring other cultures into their, uh, their faith culture. And so they were supposed to be pure, and so they had separation laws set up. In Exodus 34, it says, Be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land, for when they prostitute themselves to their gods and sacrifice to them, they will invite you and you will eat their sacrifices. And when you choose some of their daughters as wives for your sons and those daughters prostitute themselves to their gods, they will lead your sons to do the same thing. And so this was the separation uh, concept in the Old Testament, and so there's lots of laws that existed to keep the, Je- the Gentiles and the Jewish people separate. Uh, but after the death and resurrection of Jesus uh, in Ephesians in the New Testament, uh, Paul, writing to the church in Ephesus, says this, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside his flesh, the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to you who were near. And so Paul is saying because of what Jesus has done, he's actually taken out the barrier, taken out the wall that existed to separate God's people from the Gentiles. And now we're all brought into the same family of God, that barrier has been removed because of what Jesus has done, uh, and so these uh, separation laws show up in, like I mentioned, circumcision. Show up in food laws uh, and certain festivals or holidays that were distinct for the Jewish people. Uh, so those things are not binding anymore on God's people. Uh, and then, lastly, you have civil laws. 
And these ones are pretty straightforward. Uh, there's a lot of everyday kind of life laws that you and I live with that they also lived with. Uh, building codes, property laws, uh, all of that kind of stuff. And there's a different type of civil laws. One example in Deuteronomy here, when you build a new house, you must build a railing around the edge. I referenced this earlier. Railing around the edge of its flat roof, civil law. That way you will not be considered guilty of murder if someone fails from the roof. And so they had this law. You must have railings on your roof. And I said, do any of you have railings on your roof? And you say, no, because, you know, you probably don't have flat roofs. And so it's contextual. But there's a principle here that you have to be responsible for your own property, uh, for how somebody might become injured or hurt themselves on your property. And so there's a principle, but it's not the law itself, but it's a principle. Uh, and so that's a civil law. Follow me? Okay, so in summary, the law in the Old Testament... How, how we ought to live, the rules and regulations, some of them continue to imply, some of them don't, uh, and we need to understand kind of how we approach this topic uh, when we, particularly when we're talking about finances, what it means to be faithful uh, to God and how we live. Uh, and so in summary, the only laws that actually apply throughout the scriptures are the moral laws, the ceremonial laws, the separation laws, uh, the civil laws are contextual. Uh, but those two and three in particular, they have been made obsolete because of what Jesus has done. He's made two groups, one group, anything that involved the, you know, the sacrificial ceremonies and systems he's eliminated because of what he's done. And all people can come to him uh, because of his death and resurrection. And so now with that context, we get to the topic of tithing. And tithing, I mean, I've always, I, I've grown up in the church. I've always been around tithing in, in some form. I remember as a little kid going to Sunday school. So it used, used to be the church classes you went to before church. So church used to be two and a half hours. So for all of you that complain about being here for an hour and a half, uh, it used to be worse. Uh, and I know some of you used to go to church two times a week, Wednesday nights and Sunday morning. Got any of you guys here? Okay. So anyways, you used to go to Sunday school. My parents would give me money for the, for the, to tithe. Um, what's 10% of nothing? I didn't make anything. So my, my parents gave me uh, 25 cents to tithe when I went to Sunday school. Uh, and and I, one of my earliest memories, I can remember going to church in the wintertime. Uh, you know, it's cold in Manitoba. I come in with my parka, and my mom gives me my 25 cents, and she says, uh, here's your tithe for this morning when you go to Sunday school. And I took the 25 cents. I put it in my mouth to take my jacket off. And when I put it in my mouth, I swallowed it. It got stuck in my throat. I couldn't breathe. Thankfully, the church was actually right beside the hospital. My parents took me from the foyer of the church right into the emergency room. Uh, and we took an x-ray. I, I'd love to actually find that x-ray, but there's an x-ray of my throat with a quarter in the middle of it. Um, uh, anyways, eventually, it like scratched and jarred up my throat, but it worked its way down and through. Hey, that's my first memory of like tithing. Uh, and then, and then as, as I got older, we used to have like these buckets. We, we passed the buckets, the offering buckets down the rows. Um, you know, I had the ushers go forward, and then everybody would give their tithes into the, the buckets. Um, you know, but I'm, I'm pretty smart. You know, those buckets, they, uh, uh, you know, they're hard. So I know some churches had like the cloth bags. We didn't have the cloth bags. We had these hard buckets. And so when there's change in the buckets, you just... You just hit the bottom of the bucket, and the change would, would bounce around. And so it made it sound like you were putting money 
in the bucket. You know, so I remember being a teenager being like, oh yeah, I tithe, boom, hit the bucket, pass it on. Um, which worked really, really well until you got a bucket that had no change in it. It was like, this hollow sound. I was like, oh, what are you doing with the bucket? Uh, anyways, I've always been around uh, tithing. Uh, tithing has been a practice uh, that's, that has yeah, been a part of my life for, for a very long time. Uh, but the question is whether tithing uh, is something that we ought to do or ought not to do. Is it biblical? Should we keep doing it? Uh, and so in complete summary, when you go back to the law, the moral law, separation law, uh, ceremonial law, civil laws. Uh, where does tithing fall? Well, tithing is not a moral law. It isn't a moral law. So in that way, tithing does not apply, I believe, in uh, the post-resurrection period of Christ in the New Testament, in the church, the era of the church. Um, so there you go. You don't have to give. You can leave. Uh, I know, you, you know, there's, there's got to be more to it, right? And you're, you're right, there is. Uh, it's not quite that easy, uh, but this is the foundation where we need to start the conversation, is that there, there actually isn't a rule or a law that is telling you how much to give. Tithing isn't a moral law. You know, in fact, in Matthew 23, 23 Jesus says this, What do you teach to the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites? You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, uh, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. So Jesus doesn't say don't tithe. Jesus is just saying um, you've actually missed the whole point. Tithing isn't part of the moral law. Uh, number two, tithing wasn't mentioned among instructions given to the Gentile churches. In Acts 15, they're trying to figure out, okay, what should the churches practice? What should they do? Um, that was part of the way we as Jews did it. And now, what do the Gentiles do? And tithing didn't make that short list of things. Uh, It says, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You must abstain from food sacrifice to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do good to avoid these things. There was nothing in Acts 15 about the church continuing to tithe. Thirdly, the Old Testament actually had three tithes, not one. And so when people think, hey, I want to practice the Old Testament tithe, well, do you really want to do that? Because there was three tithes that equaled 23%. There's two different uh, regular tithes and one tithe that happened every three years. So, uh, so people figure that the, the Jewish people tithed about 23%. Tithe means tenth, but their actual giving was about 23%. Um, so those are kind of a, a baseline for the conversation about tithing. And, and at this point, I'm going to invite my good friend Kathy to stage. You can give Kathy a hand as she comes on up. Well, that was like a nice golf clap. Let's try it one more time. Give Kathy a hand. Yeah, there we go. So... Um, I've been looking, for this, uh, looking forward to this conversation uh, for a while. When, when I knew we were going to talk about giving and generosity, I'm like, okay, i got to get Kathy uh, on stage as we talk about this. Um, and so some of these questions that you know, I've kind of queued up, I've set the table for, um, we're going to talk about uh, what, that, what that means and, and what that looks like and why giving is still important, even though the scriptures aren't telling you that you have to. Um, or what you have to give. Uh, but we know that the New Testament still practiced giving, uh, and we'll, we'll come to that in a minute. Um, Kathy's been teaching uh, some of her financial courses at SunWest for quite some time. 
Um, and we actually just launched a new growth track. I'm going to mention this on the front end called Christ-Centered Stewardship. Our staff went through it this summer. Um, and people that in our staff and other people that have sat under Kathy's teaching have all raved about how impactful it's been on their life. Um, and so um, if you want a testimony, uh, we'd be happy to, to share that. Um, but this is a passion of Kathy's. And so we're just going to start there. Kathy, why is this topic uh, such a big deal to you? Yeah, so I, I think I fell into it, Chris and I, when we first taught it, was a just one of those awe moments, like, this is so what I'm supposed to be doing with my life. Um, I think the, the hesitation people have to talk about money is really sad. Um, there's a measuring stick out there, and we use money to measure ourselves. There's, uh, it's set as the goal, where the real truth is it's, it's a tool. It's a tool for us to have a relationship with God. It's a tool for us to understand who we are, where we're stuck. It's a tool for us to do what we're called to do and to make a difference in this world. And if we can get past that initial conversation of, oh, I don't want to talk about my money, to what's my money saying? And I just, I love, I could talk forever about money because I love what it does for people and how it helps them understand who they are, how they're wired, what they're supposed to be doing in this world, and the value that they bring to the world. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and I know f- for you, uh, when you say, I love to talk about money, it's not really, like you were saying, because money is a tool, it's not really about the money itself. Um, but you are, when, when you teach your classes, you're really concerned about people thriving and experiencing God's best. Uh, and money is one of the barriers in order for people to experience. Can you just talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, if, if we can reframe what money is and use it as a tool for ourselves, it's actually all these little hurdles. There's hurdles you have, and they show up in your money. And that's why we started as financial coaches and moved into stewardship coaching is because when you have a problem with your money, it's it's a you can take it as a shameful thing, or you can look at it and say, okay, I've got a block. What's my block here? What is going on deep in my heart? Because money is a reflection of what's, what you're believing. And if you can use that as a pointer stick to, okay, I'm believing something that's not true. Let's, take, let's dig down in that. Let's get the truth out there. Let me hear for myself what God says. And it is sometimes a block to actually hearing God. And I know we're really big at hearing God here. That if we can get over some of these hurdles and some of these things we don't want to talk about, we're going to hear God more clearly. We're going to get better results. And, and like I said, money is the tool to open up doors that we have been dreaming of for so many years. Awesome. So I know I kind of started uh, answering this question already, uh, but the idea of 10%, so the tithe. Um, you know, we were chatting earlier this week, and I said, is 10% biblical? Uh, so can you kind of just run us through, uh, you know, how you <laughs> would respond to that question? Someone said, hey, is tithing biblical? Tithing biblical. Well, it depends on what you mean by biblical. It is in the Bible. So if you go with just that, yeah, it's in there. People have been doing it for a long time. Historically, yes, people have been tithing. Um, we don't tell people that they have to tithe because I don't think you do. I think it's a relationship um, with God, and it's the hearing God piece of if I know my creator and I'm having a conversation with him, he's going to tell me what I need to do. But the action of giving is going to free you up to do even more. And I think there's, there's a value in understanding 
that to give away some money is actually helpful to me. It opens up doors for me. It loosens my grip on things like wanting all my stuff and, and selfishness. So there's a practice in there. And does it have to be 10%? I don't know that it does, but I think that you're going to get better results if whatever you give away does pinch a little bit because you need to be aware that you're doing it. So we're going to come back to that point uh, in a minute. Uh, But uh, in your class, you guys actually talk quite a bit about the motivation behind giving. Uh, And you got the one chart uh, on one of the the pages in your booklet, so I'm just going to bring it up on the screen. And you use this to kind of compare the motivation because two people might be giving the exact same amount, but something completely different might be happening in both of their stories Mm -hmm. um, because of the reasons of why they're giving, right? So I'm just going to pull up this chart, and if you wouldn't mind just uh, talking us through some of these points, uh, I think would be helpful. Yeah, I'm going to have to turn because I didn't bring my glasses. Yeah. Yeah, so we use this chart. We do a lot of self-assessment tools. I don't tell you what is right or wrong. Um, I want you to decide it for yourself. So this is one of the self-assessment tools we will use talking about. um, Old Testament had a bunch of rules, and the New Testament is inviting you to a relationship. And when you look at the motives for what you're giving, you can actually take a look at, okay, am am I giving just to check the right box? Because I'm somebody told me I had to do it. Um, that's a performance-based motive for giving, as opposed to do I just want to give freely? Because I just, I just, I love God. I want to give because I feel called to give here. That's that's more of a relationship thing. And we could use this this graph to go or this chart to go. Like, do I do I feel it's a duty? Do I feel it's a privilege? Um, so there's all these different things, and you can. Take a look at your heart when you're giving and, and really think, like, why am I doing this? Am I just feeling like, okay, I should, this one, ah, oh, it's not on here. Access, am I giving a, an act of service, right? Or, or a, let me find what you put on there. <laughs> Sorry. Am I giving out of fear? Um, and I find it's not like you, you're giving out of fear, you're a bad person. It's I feel like I'm giving out of fear right now. God, what's going on? Um, You actually take it as a moment to go, holy, I actually have fallen a little bit out of my intimacy with God because I feel a little afraid right now. I feel like I don't want to talk to you, so I'm just going to check the box because I know I'm supposed to. Um, And you actually can, you can bounce back and forth between these depending on your situation, right? If you just got a raise, hey, I'm great. I got a great relationship. I want to hang out with God. I'm doing great. I'm all over on that one side. But maybe you lost your job. Oh, I'm a little scared. I'm kind of, I'm drifting away from God. So we do these kind of tools where you decide, like, what is my motive right now for giving? And it will change. Um, You know, God wants you have a relationship, and to understand his heart for you. And that's where the the giving should come out of. That's the best um, feeling. Right. So one of the things you said here on the performance side is you give out of fear or give to get. And so there's some some practices and teaching in the church that, um, you know, uh, the more you give, the more God is going to, to bless you. Uh, and there's some misunderstandings and different opinions about what that means. Do you mind talking a little bit about, uh, about that piece? Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, we used to, we coached someone once 
who came out of the prosperity gospel, and it was sad. I like. And sorry, just the definition of the prosperity gospel oh, is that's that, give to get. <laughs> yeah, I'm giving so that God's actually going to yeah. give more to me. Right, and yeah. and there's there's a lot of baggage with that, but we don't teach that. Like, but we do teach faithful with little, and that's scriptural. If you take our class, we go through it in depth. But that is being trustworthy with what you have in your hands right now will open up what you can get in the future. So we take it awfully, we will use an example of a, a parent who has a brand new driver in their house. And you have this, whether they're 16 years old these days when they can get their driver's license, you won't give that 16-year-old a Lamborghini. You'd be really, really stupid to give them a Lamborghini. You're going to give them beat up old minivan if you're really nice, right? And you're going to trust them with the minivan for a while. And if they can prove that they can handle the minivan, maybe you give them something a little better or they have to earn it or whatever. But they, you don't give them this huge thing to start with. You actually let them practice on something less. And I think the same thing happens with our finances and with all the things we're entrusted with. Let's have a little bit here and see how you do. If you do that well... Okay, I'm going to give you a little bit more. Okay, that's great. I'm going to give you a little bit more. And that is very scriptural. That is, that right. is faithful with little. So you're saying I shouldn't give my son Joel our Lamborghini. You're right. Okay. If you love no, him, you won't. No, note to self. I won't <laughs> lend him my Lamborghini. Um, actually, just a quick, quick story on, on my end, because um, it's been my experience, and I've heard many testimonies, and the scripture testifies that often when people give, God does bless them. Um, in order to be a blessing... Uh, but but often God does miraculous things. I believe to show you that He is trustworthy, uh, not to make a formula out of it. I remember uh, one time uh, my wife and I were just wrestling with you know how much to give to the church, and uh, we felt this conviction that we ought to give more to the church, which was difficult because we were needing a new vehicle, uh, and we're like, hey, what do we what do we do in this situation? And so we made the decision to um, to up our our giving, uh, and that hurt. It pinched, and then. Uh, and then that same week that we made that decision, I was out on a mountain bike ride with some friends and my one friend, oh, sorry, let's rewind, rewind it. So that same week, um, we made that decision and then we got an anonymous $3,000 check in the mail in the same week. Uh, and then I was out on a mountain bike ride with my friend and, uh, and he said, I have to leave early cause I got to go, we're trading in our our vehicle to get a new vehicle today. And I said, well, how much, what's the trade in value of your vehicle? What was the dealership giving you? He said, 3000 bucks. And I said, well, if I give you 3000 bucks, will you give me your car? He was like, sure. And then I got a car. Uh, so, uh, that's, that's not to say give to get because, uh, that's not a formula. And I didn't, uh, that doesn't happen every time, but there's been a few times in my life where God has, uh, done something out of an act of obedience to show me that, 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 that he's trustworthy. Uh, that I can actually be generous towards his church and that he can, uh, that he can take care of my needs. Uh, but different than, a, different than a formula that says, hey, we're going to give, and every time you give, something, uh, you know, something miraculous going, is going to happen to you. Um, so just going to go down here a little further. Uh, believe uh, God wants my heart. So, so sometimes we think God wants our money, but the reality is it says in Matthew 6.22 that where your treasure is, your heart is. Um, so talk about the significance of that verse, Matthew 6.22. Well, I guess I can talk about 
I'll tell, a, I'll tell our story, because uh, we do have a miraculous story with money as well. And I was married to Chris for 10 years. He was not a Christian. He came to church. Uh, for some reason, he'd come to church, and he would listen, but he just wasn't going to buy it. And I had nothing really to, you know, I'd pray for him as the, as the wife and stuff, but um, there was a sermon, Willie was back then, he'd remember, there was a sermon series on, on tithing. And for some weird reason, Chris decided he needed to give a tithing check, 10% of what we're making. And, you know, a single parent family, or a single income family, I'm like, okay, that's really weird that you want to give away money and you don't even know why. But that day that he gave that check, he became a Christian. And, and some ugly that was in our house disappeared. So, so God didn't want our money. He knew we didn't have lots, um, but he wanted my husband's heart. And, the, and from that obedience, from that trust of being letting go, I think that's a big piece of it, that you're letting go of some control. When you can let go of control over something like that, God has the opportunity now to speak deeper into you and to speak new life into you. Um, and it's, we're not, you know, we didn't, get $3,000 the next day. That didn't happen, but we have a relationship now um, that's richer, that we have a life now that we're, we're, we love because God's in the middle of it. Um, but yeah, God really, it's not about the money, um, but he knows money can catch us up. It can block us up. And if we can let go of that and give control to trust him, it's a huge irritation about trust a while back. Mm-hmm. If we can trust God that he's got this, that opens up that ability to have a so much deeper relationship with him. Yeah. And something we, uh, we were chatting about earlier this week, um, you know, sometimes we, you know, when we look at Matthew 6.22 and we say, uh, you know, where your treasure is, your heart is, um, we can refer to that verse in terms of looking at our bank account and saying, okay, I can see where my priorities and my values are based on where I'm spending my money. And that's true. Uh, but uh, you can reverse engineer that, so to speak, too, and see it the opposite way, that if you want to move your heart, uh, you can actually move your money first. Uh, the discipline of actually using your money in a particular way can shift your heart. Uh, so if you find that you, you feel callous or apathetic, uh, maybe shifting your money is part of a way to shift your heart because your heart naturally follows where you put uh, things of value, like money. Um, okay, so you, in the class you guys talk about first giving versus last giving. Yeah, so we teach the order of operations of your decisions. And, and there is an order that you need to do things in to get the results you really want. Now, first giving is based on this ability to let go. So I don't want to be a selfish person. I want to let go of some of my money. I want to think of somebody besides myself, preferably giving some money to something I have no control over. I'm actually not making decisions on. I'm not going to benefit from this. So that first giving is a conscious decision to give away money if we're going with tithing. I'm going to give away something. Right off the top, I'm just going to give it away. It's my way to love God, but I can't give him a check. So I'm going to love something he loves. So this first giving kind of has categories. You're going to you know, support the local church because he loves the local church. You're going to help widows and orphans because he loves widows and orphans. You're going to help marginalize. Whatever it is that he's put on your heart because you each have something, your, your, your favorite thing, right? So that's your first giving. Then you 
deal with life. There's, there's a whole bunch of directions biblically that we can look at of what you're supposed to do with all the resources he's given you. And the last giving is the fun part. So if you can get through all of that and get to last giving, this is where you have wealth that makes a difference. You have a chance to pour into that thing God has put in your heart that's been burning in you to make a difference with. It allows you to have a far deeper relationship with him because now you get to dream with him. You get to, okay, I got this money left over. What are we going to do together? And it's really, really fun to have all your numbers line up so you have some capacity to do that last giving. And you don't have to be rich to do this. You just have to be intentional. And in that first giving, when you, when you give to uh, your local faith community, to your church community, uh, that's an act of sacrifice because you, you're actually giving up a, a control uh, with, with those funds. You know, when we give to, you know, organizations that we love what they're doing, um, you know, we're giving to the Mustard Seed, we're giving to El Salvador to build houses, like those are all beautiful things. Uh, you, in, that, in those circumstances, are deciding and controlling what you're giving your money towards. Uh, can you speak to the value of actually submitting your money into a community and it's, you're actually not dictating how that money is being used? What does that do to your heart? Why is that important? <laughs> uh, number one, you can't be selfish anymore with that money. It's not yours. It's gone. Um, it's, it's showing you trust this faith community. Um, it's showing that, um, you know, that it's, it's just really, it's turning your eyes towards, okay, I'm giving this away. And then you can almost, you almost follow it with your eyes. What are they doing with it now? Like you're, you're, you're investing some interest into, okay, I've totally let them have the reins on this. What are they going to do? And you can champion them. You can, you get drawn into that community more. I have a story, but do you want it at the end or now? Um, let's, yeah, let's go at the end. We'll, okay. we'll end with that story because it's a okay. great story. Uh, let me ask you one more question <laughs> before we get there, though. So many people, as we're talking about giving, it's like, well, I'd love to give, but I, I can't. I mean, for various reasons, I can't, um, or I'm in debt. Uh, you know, someone were coming to you and saying, I can't. Um, what would you, how would you respond to that question? Yeah, so it would depend on you. So if you came in and said, I can't give, probably the first question I'd say, is it a can't give or you don't want to give? Um, so if it's a don't want to give, then your homework would be go pray, go home, pray, Jesus changed my want to um, because there's a heart. Kathy's very direct. <laughs> I'm very direct. Because um, you have to want to give. Yeah. Um, so change your want to. Now, so there's, there's other places where you can't. Okay, so there's, there's different reasons you can't give. If you are in a situation where you are a very low income, maybe you are a single parent, maybe something crisis happened to you, maybe there's, there's just circumstances in your life, it is really, really hard to even make ends meet. That is an opportunity for, for you to actually reach into that faith community that you're part of and say, I need help. Um, I need some guidance. I need some support. And allow the faith community to serve you. That is a huge learning skill for some people to actually receive help in a time when they're needing it. Now, there's other people that can't give because all their money is promised somewhere else. Um, and that one, so... 90% of our can't give is because we've overspent or we're not managing our money or we don't know where it is or 
There's all kinds of reasons there, and that's a good opportunity if you really do want to give to learn. What's going on here? What systems am I using in my life that are maybe not working so well for me? What, uh, what am I hearing out there that's impacting me, that's making me buy every app that there is on the phone or whatever, Instagram or whatever it is that's talking to you, that's telling you all your money has to go here and get promised elsewhere? There's also mindsets. What am I believing that I can't do this? Am I just have a block? So there's things you can look at. There's reasons for this can't, I can't giving that if you really, really do want to give, you can get help, you can get direction, and it's not all cutting up your credit cards. It's let's be intentional what really matters to you, and let's make that happen. I love it that you refer to debt as money that's promised elsewhere. I, I, for me, it just frames it in a, in a different kind of way. Um, and you have to fulfill those promises. Um, and, uh, you know, for, for someone who's continuing to tithe or give to the local church, and they're taking on more and more debt, what would you say to them? I think that they, you really need to sit down and understand why. Why are you doing this? Why is this lifestyle dictating that behavior? Um, because your, your opportunities are being dictated by the world. Whereas you, if you can sit and listen to God and understand why God put you on this planet, it's him that needs to dictate or just to guide you in, in what you want to do with your money. And what, what in that spending could could adjust so you can actually have that ability to do generosity, to make a difference. Because that, that wealth that you have is currently being used to buy stuff. Um, if you can change that behavior and understand why that behavior is happening, sometimes it's not just a stop the coffee thing. There's a reason. If you can understand the reason, get down to the truth, then you're free to do some things that you haven't even tried yet because it's just not been there. Yeah. Well, thanks, Kathy. Okay, so you referred to the story, um, giving, giving up control, giving when it's uncomfortable. Um, you know, Sunwest was going through a difficult period a few years back, um, uh, which was also difficult for you guys as a family. Uh, can you tell, tell us a little bit what God told you uh, in that journey and how you responded? Yeah, so for those of you who are around, I call it the ugly period. Um, and it's it was hard. Uh, we had, we had, I was confused. There was stress at SunWest. They were, my friends were leaving, like, all the time. They're just people that I valued, my mentors, they were leaving the church. I was upset. I was mad at God. I'm like, I, I'm so mad. I don't want to stay. And, and if you, if you know that still small voice of God that's bossy, he's like, you're not going anywhere. He's like, we were staying. And I was getting crankier, and I was like, I was mad. I'm like, why can't I go? They're having so much more fun over there. This is not fun. This is hard. And I was having a little hissy fit, which I do have them occasionally. And God just chuckles at me. And he said, in this particular case, I want you to give a fairly large chunk of money to SunWest. I went, really? So I talked to Chris, and Chris being Chris, he's like, yeah, sure. Um, so we gave a fairly chart, large chunk of money to SunWest, and as soon as I did that, my eyes were back on SunWest, 
I was re- I'm going to make this work. I'm going to talk to people. I'm going to understand what's going on. I want to know what's, what, what this is. I'm going to heal. And it, it wasn't that he, this church didn't need that money. But my heart was drifting. And I needed my heart to go back to the home God called me to be in. And I needed to be able to pour back in here. And, I, and it was through finances that he made that happen. Yeah, and we're so thankful that you guys did that. And we're blessed uh, as a community to have you guys a part of it. Um, if you are interested in taking the Christ-centered stewardship uh, class, um, just go to the Welcome Center. We'll put your name down on the, the list. And we're looking, it's one of our growth tracks now, and we want to offer regularly because uh, we do think money is a major barrier for us to live uh, full lives of purpose and freedom the way that God's calling us to live. And uh, Kathy's playing a significant role in just helping us uh, work uh, towards that end. So thank you, Kathy. Let's thank uh, Kathy for sharing with us. Okay, so I'm going to try and summarize a lot of these pieces really quick. So in the New Testament, we see that you know, tithing isn't demanded. It's not a, it's not a have to. Uh, it's actually a get to. Uh, and, and if we want to uh, just summarize the New Testament picture, it's that God owns everything. So this is their understanding, uh, that God is, owns everything. We're, giving, we're given material things, possessions, uh, finances to steward uh, in the kingdom of God. Uh, we also know that money is often an idol. This is why Jesus talks about it a lot, not because Jesus needs the money, but because he knows that uh, money steals our hearts, possessions steal our hearts, and he wants our hearts. And we're most alive when he has our hearts. And so we often think that we're most alive when we get the stuff we want, uh, but uh, you will quickly find, and you've probably realized already, that you can accumulate more and more stuff and get more and more money, um, and still you find yourself just as bitter and unforgiving and stuck and angry and irritated as you were before. Uh, money doesn't fix that stuff. Um, and so God wants our hearts. He wants to heal our hearts. Uh, and often the way to our hearts, uh, he has to actually make, make its way into our, our wallets uh, first. Uh, Jesus says, you can't serve two masters. You'll either hate the one, love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And so God wants us uh, to love him fully. Um, And so what does that mean? What's the implications on our finances? Uh, I think it's important that we think about that. Uh, The New Testament picture also is a shift from tithing to generosity. So it goes from a rule-based giving uh, to I get to give. Like I said, it's a generous uh, posture um, where the church is actually blessing each other. Um, willingly, um, not because we have to, because we choose to. Um, also, God will provide enough for your needs, not for your greeds. And so, yeah, there is a principle that if, uh, if you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. If, if, you, if you sow much, you'll reap much. Uh, but that, that, uh, that reaping is never for your uh, benefit because you are blessed to be a blessing. And this is consistent from the beginning of Scriptures to the end of Scriptures, that God blesses his people not to their own end, but to his end, because uh, he wants to bless others through you. So as we close our service, we're actually going to move to the communion table. Uh, and it might seem odd to you that we would go from talking about money to communion, uh, but we have to recognize that what communion, the Lord's Supper represents, is the shift that changed everything. If you read in Acts, the New Testament shift uh, to this radical generosity that transformed the world was a result, it was a fruit, it was a symptom of them being transformed by the good news of Jesus. 
And we, we looked at this verse last week, but I just want to come back to it, that you know the generous, Lord, the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. And again, the end point of what we're talking about is not actually your finances, it's not giving, it's first receiving. It's first understanding what Jesus has done and then being people that respond to that with their hearts and with their lives. Um, and so as the band uh, plays uh, this song, we're going to invite you to uh, come to one of the uh, communion tables that are in each of the four corners. Um, if you are joining us online, we would encourage you during the song to uh, grab some bread from the pantry, um, some juice or whatever you're, you're drinking at home. Uh, I'm not judging you. Uh, but just grab that stuff and we're going to take together, right? So I know sometimes we take on our own, but you're going to go to the four corners, uh, grab the elements for communion, uh, take them back to your seat, and then after the song, I'll come back up and then we'll, we'll take those elements together. As you receive the elements, you'll, uh, the, the people serving you will say, Christ's body broken for you and Christ's blood shed for you. Uh, just a reminder that these symbols uh, have been practiced throughout church history as a regular remembrance, a regular reminding of what Jesus has done. And so we receive it again anew and we live differently because of what he has done. Uh, so would the band please lead us and would you, we invite you to come uh, to one of the tables in the corners. This is our hope. I don't want to focus on finances uh, anymore, but uh, we understand the point that this changes how we live, how we prioritize our lives. This, is, this changes how we walk through seasons of our lives. Uh, we know that uh, many Sunwesters uh, right now are going through difficult times. We have gone through difficult times this year. There's many challenges. Um, and I've been reminded this week, and I continue to be reminded that our only hope is the death and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, and sometimes we get distracted from that hope and think that there's, uh, there's better hope in this world, there's better news in this world. That is the best news because of what Jesus has done, because of his body that was broken, his blood that was spilled. We have an eternal hope that goes beyond whatever season, whatever valley you might be walking through right now. And so we come together as a faith community, and we're together because of what Jesus has done. We testify together uh, what he has done and how that has changed our lives both today and forever. Uh, And so would you partake the elements with me? This is the body of Christ that is broken for you. Please receive this in remembrance of what he has done for you. This is the blood of Christ that was shed for you. Uh, Please receive this and remember what he has done for you. So, Jesus, we thank you, again, that though you were rich, you became poor, so that by your poverty we may become rich. We thank you for the hope that we have that is greater than any valley or challenge that we walk in. We thank you for the hope that we have that transforms the way that we live. Lord, we pray that we would be a light, that every blessing we receive, uh, Lord, would be a light to others uh, that testify to the goodness of God. May we live lives of generosity in response to the generosity that you've given us. 
Lord, may we remember regularly what you have done. And may that so penetrate our hearts, so transform our lives, Lord, that we can't not live our lives in response to that great hope. So Jesus, we thank you for your death, for your resurrection. We thank you for the hope that you have given us. May we live our lives in the present in light of eternity. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. We're going to invite the prayer teams uh, forward uh, at this time. Uh, And if you'd like to receive prayer for anything, we'd love to pray for you. Um, But I hope that you have a great week, uh, blessed week, and we'll see you again next week. Thanks for coming.